0: It is he who includes more of the words, although the other Gospels tell us of actions and allude to this. It is Matthew who records the words that are spoken around the cross on the day of that crucifixion. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to pick it up at verse 32. And we're going to read through verse 51. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. and The earth shook. And the rocks were split. As far fire the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you that we once again have the privilege and opportunity on this gorgeous Sabbath morning to come and worship you. And we just ask that you guide Pastor Bob's with, with your word. And that you open our hearts and our mind and so that we can accept this word and learn how to apply it to our lives. Learn how to serve you better. Dear Lord, this we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Two points this morning from these words of Matthew. First of all, the words of derision. What exactly is said there around the cross upon that day? Secondly, the obedience of Christ. So the words of derision and the obedience of Christ. First of all, as we reflect upon these words of derision, we have to understand that this, too, is prophetic. If you go back to Psalm 22, we hear the psalmist say in the 7th verse, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. So when Matthew reports to us that which is being said around the cross upon that day of Christ's crucifixion and the fact that they're wagging their heads, he's informing us of that for a particular reason. He's reminding us of the fact that that what we're about to study, that what we're about to enter into is indeed prophetic. That these words of mockery were indicated Many, many years ago, and now upon the cross, we are seeing their fulfillment. But that was also indicated in Psalm 109. In the opening verses of that psalm, we read these words, which would also be considered words of prophecy in terms of Christ on the cross. Be not silent, O God of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Amazing words of prophecy, are they not? That's what we're about to to look at. This is what the Spirit has given to Matthew to, to remind us of, of that which took place. Words of hatred. Words of anger. Blasphemous words that are being uttered against Jesus Christ. Who is only... They're in love. First of all, who are the people involved in this? As, as we read through this account in Matthew chapter 27, who are involved? Well, first of all, Matthew tells us that there are those who passed by. Now, That would be the more the English way we would say it, that they passed by. Uh, the actual Greek literal translation is to be a bypasser one who bypasses, one who is going around. Even today, supposedly the place where Christ uh, is crucified, this is the intersection of roads. There are various people coming and going. And that is who is being indicated here. The people who are simply the passers-by. Some, perhaps, are on their way into Jerusalem for still to to deal with perhaps some of the high holy day things that are going on, others might be on their way out, particularly those who come from Galilee. One of the things we learn about the the holding of the Passover is that uh, at this particular time of, of Jesus' life, there seems to be two different days upon which the Passover is held. Some are holding to the fact that it is the day of Jesus' death, not because of that, but that's the day that Passover is. Others have held their Passover meal the evening before. and So we see the fulfillment of this in the upper room and now upon the cross as well. But there might have been those who are simply going home. You now it's kind of an odd curiosity today in our society, right? Because we attach just almost every holiday to a weekend. And you know, by the time a Monday middle of the day comes, think think for example, okay, when the Fourth of July falls on a Monday, or think when Memorial Day, which always falls on a Monday now, or Labor Day, what happens? About midday, kind of, well, it's time to go home. We're going to pack up now. Okay, we're, we're going to head back. Now, when, when many of us of my generation, older now, had uh, this, we, we, we didn't have the weekend. So, you know, the, the Memorial Day may occur some other time of the week. And, and therefore, you took the whole day. Generally, the highlight was the Supper. Now it's become lunch because everybody, well, it's time to move on. It's time we got to get back home, get things done. People go home on the night of of a holiday like Memorial Day or the 4th and they're out mowing their lawn. Well, why? Because we started it Thursday night. We started it Thursday night. We celebrated Friday, Saturday, most people Sunday, Monday morning, oh, man, noon, yeah, Time for those people to go back to their houses. Campgrounds clear out midday of a holiday. Think about that here. Some have celebrated Passover the day before. Some are celebrating it. I can just hear some father saying to his wife, some husband to his wife, father to his children... Let's beat the crowd home. That, road, that road's going to be so busy this afternoon. There's going to be so many people. Let's leave a little early today and let's start our journey home. And on their journey home, they pass by the cross. These are some who are speaking. It's interesting that those who are the passerbys speak directly to Jesus. There are words spoken from them directly to him. The second group that that is there are the religious leaders. We are told that the chief priest with scribes and elders, verse 41, mocked him. But it's interesting that every one of their statements is not directed at Jesus. They're talking amongst themselves. They're having that little conversation on the side. They hate Jesus so much, they will not speak to him. They despise him. They're not going to give him even the decency of speaking their taunts directly at him. Some of you deal with that in school, right? What's worse? The person who comes right up directly to you in the hallway and says you know that's kind of an ugly pair of pants you got on today and the shirt doesn't go with it okay they dealt with it they told you it's direct you know what they're thinking or is it the as you're walking by and they all look at you they sneer they lift up their nose and and like what, what they're saying what, what's going on what's happening more hurtful, isn't it? The direct, yeah, that's not good, it's not fun, but but at least you know what's on their mind. Here, you're left with what's happening, what's going on? And then sometimes, you know, those voices are said loud enough with their backs turned. They make their insults not looking at you and you just feel the greater hatred. the religious leaders. We are told at the end of uh, the verse uh, 44 that the robbers do too. We'll come back to them next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, but but they too are engaged and Matthew is very direct here that both are involved. Initially, as, as the crucifixion begins, both robbers are joining in this chorus of taunts that are being offered. And the fourth group are the Roman soldiers. Matthew doesn't report that, but Luke, in Luke chapter 23, verse 36, says, and the Roman soldiers mocked him also. Matthew reports that they're there sitting, watching, and one can imagine. Yes, they're hearing all of these taunts. Hey, let's let's join in this. Oh, yeah, king of the Jews. Four groups. All with their own different agendas, all with their own different places and purposes in life, throwing out their taunts, their defiance, their partial truths. Let's look at three of those. First of all, the taunt. The taunt that comes about the temple. Verse 40. Here are the passerby. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Hurled right at them. See, they're walking by and they're looking at him. hanging there. Hey, you. Then you said. Well, actually, Jesus did not say that. What they're repeating are the words of the false witnesses. What they're repeating is actually a lie. Jesus' words actually are recorded for us in John chapter 2, verse 19. Now listen to what Jesus said. Chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Let me read it again. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The taunt is, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. It's not what Jesus said. It's not only a misquote, it's a misinterpretation. Here are people walking by, lying. They're not even telling the truth about you. They're lying and the lies continue. How do you respond when somebody tells a lie about you in public? What's your initial response? What's your initial reaction? Somebody publicly says a lie. This is the taunt of those who pass by. Those who barely know him. Those who who perhaps have never met him. Have believed the lie. Have been captivated by the lie. And are now hurling the lie... Directly in his face. Secondly, the second one is the defiant challenge. Save yourself if you are the son of God. Let God deliver him now. Do you see the challenge? Come on. If you are God's son, save yourself. But then it heightens. It's a defiance not only, right, against Jesus. It's a defiance against God. If this is your son, you save him. Words that, to a certain extent, get repeated by the religious leaders in in a few moments. Just see the defiance. We are not willing to accept that which you taught. We are not willing to accept that you are the Son of God. Jesus, in just the previous chapter, had told them, I am Son of God. I am the Son of Man. I am. If you are, come down. If you're his father, bring him down. The defiance of these words. Now what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. The truth is that Jesus is the Son of Man. Here is the truth. Here is the challenge. Come on. truth is God is His Father. You ever been challenged in public? See, it's not a lie, it's just the challenge. They've gone beyond a lie about Jesus now. Now it's a direct challenge. It's a challenge to His own word. It's a challenge to His own statement. Come on, let's see it. Remember Being in grade school, remember opening your mouth and saying, I can chug five chocolate milks in ten seconds. Do it! Come on, Mr. Big Gulp, let's see you do it. Now you're on the spot, right? Now you got to decide it. I've been challenged, what do I do? Think of how we respond. When we're directly challenged. Think of how we respond when when someone challenges us publicly. That's what they're doing. Defiantly challenging Jesus. And then we come to these words. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He saved others. Think of the admission. Think of what these religious leaders are actually admitting to. Earlier, you know, the religious leaders had charged Jesus with the miracles that he had done through the power of Beelzebub. But they never said he didn't do it. Understand what they're admitting to. We admit you multiplied bread and fish. We admit you raised Lazarus from the dead. We admit that you made the blind see. We admit you made the lame walk. We admit you made the deaf to hear. We admit you drove out demons. But you cannot save yourself. And while we may look at this first as, as an untruth, let me present to you that what they're actually saying is an unknown truth. That really is a true statement. Oh, not in the sense in which they meant it, right? These religious leaders who are talking now amongst themselves in their little holy huddle With their noses lifted, as Luke tells us, in a sneer. Being all snooty about it. He saved others. Can't save himself. What do they mean by it? They mean by it he can't come down from the cross. They mean by it that that he can't just suddenly go, "Ah!" pull out the nails and climb down from the cross. In that sense, they were wrong. He could have done it. In that sense, their statement, he saved others, he cannot save himself, is an absolute lie. He had the power. He is almighty God. But in another sense, they're actually right, aren't they? He cannot come down from the cross. He cannot. He can't come down from the cross because he loves you and me too much. His love holds him to that cross. He cannot come down. He can't. Because he loves us. He can't come down from that cross... Because to do so would mean he would be disobedient to his father. And he cannot disobey his father. It was God's will to crush him. He cannot disobey his father. See, there are two things holding him there. His love and his desire to be obedient to his Father. And and don't you think Jesus wants to explain that? Don't you think as he's hanging there from the cross, he wants to defend himself? He wants to... No. No. Because you see, we have to move on to our second point, and that is the obedience of Christ. I've asked a number of times, what would we do? My guess is there's probably most of us in one way, shape, or form, or another would indeed respond. We'd either respond vocally to these taunts, to these challenges, We'd come back with some forceful take. Couldn't Jesus just have said, He who is without sin ought to be offering the first taunt. He remains silent. Oh, maybe some of us wouldn't choose to respond verbally. We'd walk away. We'd just go, I'm not taking this. I'm not going to listen to this. I will not be a part of this. Slam the door behind us, and off we go in a storm cloud, huffing and puffing as we go. Jesus doesn't have that choice. He can't run away from the taunts, he can't flee the challenges, he cannot. Come down from the cross. Like a lamb before its shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. You say, well, wait a minute. There's seven sayings from Jesus. He opened his mouth at least seven times to respond. Yes, but not once in a retort. Not once in a response of vengeance. Or revenge or of anger to that which is going on. That's what Isaiah is speaking of. When he was reviled, he opened not his mouth. Peter picks up on that if you turn to First Peter, chapter two, First Peter 2: 23 and 24. but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you when men revile you for my name's sake. But as Paul say in Romans chapter 12, bless and do not curse. He remained silent. not a word against them. In fact, my friends, there is only a word for him and for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is the one phrase that is uttered from the cross that, that when you examine it, in, in the original, in, in the grammar, in the verb tenses, it's the one statement Jesus keeps repeating. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As the passerbyers go by with their taunts, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As the religious leaders hurl out their insults, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. As those two robbers join in, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As they those soldiers down below, hey, let's cast lots. As they join in the taunts, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember Psalm 109? I respond in prayer. To the taunts of those who come against me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He cannot save himself. His love is too strong. Some of those passerbyers, Are going to be at Pentecost. We read in Acts chapter 7. That many priests came to know the Lord. There is a thief yet to hear. Today you will be with me in paradise. There is yet a centurion to cry out. This was the son of God. But we see the obedience of Christ not only in his silence, but the fact that he stays on the cross. Do do any of you hear something similar to what we've heard before in these taunts that are coming? You should. You you should. Because they're very similar to what we read in Matthew chapter 4. Know what's in Matthew chapter 4? It's the temptations that Jesus faces. That which began his ministry. Save yourself! Save yourself is what the devil is seeking to do in Matthew chapter 4. Don't you realize all that is to come? You're the Son of God, you know. All these people are going to reject you. You know they're going to taunt you. You know there is a cross. You know the Father is going to forsake you. Save yourself. And here at the end of his ministry comes the Satan voice again. Save yourself. I will do that which my Father has willed. I will be the obedient son. I will not come down from the cross. For I cannot come down from this cross. Because my desire To glorify my Father surpasses all. His obedience, not only in his silence, not only in his staying on the cross, but he needs to fulfill prophecy. That's why I continued reading. There is more yet to come, Right? There are still statements that we need to hear from the cross. There are still the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He still, see, he cannot come down yet. He cannot come off that cross. He needs to fulfill those prophecies. He needs to glorify his Father. See, one way of looking at it would be this. He can't come down from the cross... Because He loves us too much, but He also loves His Father too much. He loves His Father so much that He desires that His Father will be glorified. His Father said, you will thirst. His Father said, you will cry out. His Father said, you will die. is going to glorify his father There is a fourth reason Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 53 We know this chapter well as we usually reflect upon it before the Lord's Supper, as we will be thinking about that throughout this week as we come to the table next week, reflecting upon a penitent thief, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 10, Isaiah chapter 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge Shall the righteous one of my servant make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. There's taunting. There's ridicule. There's mocking. There's challenges. He comes down from the cross. He has not died. And if he has not died, what hasn't happened? There is no atonement. There is no salvation. Because he poured out his soul to death, And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. And makes intercession for those transgressors. What is the spirit of the Lord saying to us through Isaiah? That the day upon which he hangs upon that cross. And he hears those words. He cannot save himself. He doesn't have to. It's you and I who need saving. It's you and I who need salvation. He cannot save himself. He doesn't need to save himself. He has the promise of the Father. In three days you shall rise again. He cannot save himself. But he is completing our atonement. No hope if Christ comes down from that cross. But only glory because of it. He cannot save himself. Father, forgive them. (laughs) They don't know what they're saying. And how thankful we can be. For the obedience of Christ. Amen.